0: Good afternoon, Jim. Good afternoon. Great to uh, be on your podcast, Peter. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You're a bit of a legend. You're also on my friend's show. I'm aware of one of your books. I actually think I've read one of them. Cool. I think I did years ago. That was, a, <laughs> I saw so I, was, I, I was on the red eye last night, and I couldn't sleep. I was on the red <laughs> eye from SF, and I was doing, doing through. I was like, invest like the best. I'm sure I've read it. I'm sure I've read it. Sure I've that read was it. my first book. Yeah, I'm sure I've read it. Yeah, There was a time where I thought I wanted to be a broker and, you know, from home and sit on my pants and trade money and drive a Ferrari. And I think I tried it for about two months and I pretty much lost everything. (laughs) That's the typical story. Yeah. I I don't have the temperament for it. But we were talking before we started, I've been traveling a lot around the States, getting to know the country. Like I said, this is about my 70th visit. I've been traditionally New York, Vegas, LA, San Fran. Typical. Yeah. Typical. Now I'm spreading out. Yeah. I've been to Wyoming, which was beautiful.
1: Which we were talking about earlier. It's such a beautiful state, and I recommend it Montana. We just went there. I've been to all 49 states except Alaska, so i got to get there. When are you going to go? Probably next year sometime. My wife and I were talking about it. We're going to go to Japan because she's never been. I have. And then she was like, "Well, we got to knock that fiftieth state off." So, but Montana, very much like Wyoming, I love the Western ethos. You know, they they're they're different people than we are here in New York, and it's it's a breath of fresh air.
0: Yeah, I spent some time up there recently with Caitlin Long, who is uh, she's kind of a big supporter of the Bitcoin and blockchain community, and she does a lot of work working with legislators to try and keep them away from kind of very restrictive, yeah. closed minded laws. And they've done a lot up in Wyoming. They're, the guy I met, Tyler Lindholm, he's very much a libertarian Republican. He's, yeah. yeah.
1: So you and I were talking about that before. You know, I don't really have a party. Uh-huh. I think, you know, if, if I'm defined by one thing, I am fiercely anti-authoritarian. And I just, uh, I, I, I hate the idea of a self-selected group of people who think they know what's right for you. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I avoid politics a lot because, you know, I don't really have a party and, you know, strange days. But I, I, I do watch with great interest, both here and, you know, what's going on in the UK.
0: Yeah, I watch here with a lot of interest. Actually, I think I have more interest here than the UK right now, which I probably will annoy some people. It's just I actually think I'm starting to almost spend as much time here as in the UK, and I think I'll probably end up here. But I do see the, the US tends to lead the world in certain ways. And what I struggle with with politics is the relationships between politics and media. Right. Look, you don't want to flip the other way. You don't want state-controlled media. That's worse. But there is still I, – I, I'm, I'm starting to see there's two forms of media censorship. There's the censorship by the state if you've got state-controlled media. But I actually think politically biased media – is a form of censorship as well. So
1: I could not agree with you more completely. I've been working on a piece um, that looks at uh, the idea of uh, preference falsification and revealed preferences. And so I think the media globally is still trying to adjust to the resizing that the internet put them through. Because if you think about it, remember back in the day, they were the fourth estate they had they might not make a lot of money, but they had a ton of prestige, and and now with uh, you know where the best Apple uh, analyst is a blogger, and where people call out the media for all of their mistakes. I mean, I think the most famous one was the first one. I think when when Dan Rather did the whole thing on George uh, W. Bush mm-hmm. about how he got out of the military and presented the letters and everything, and then like a half an hour later there was a guy on the internet saying, oh, by the way, that font wasn't created until 1989.
0: <laughs> I need to ask you a question first, because sure. highly relevant to something that I saw this week. So you mentioned the fourth estate. Yes. Is this a U.S. thing? Because this week I heard uh, Facebook referred to, it might have been Mark Zuckerberg referred to Facebook as the fifth estate and a lot of people were like, oh, that's very interesting. But I didn't understand what it meant because I've not heard of these. Yeah, that's
1: exactly what it means. So in the U.S., the fourth estate is usually the term that you use to describe the media, the established media. Right. So, you know, the New York Times, the paper of record used to be the Wall Street Journal, the paper of business. And, and the fourth estate was there, you know, sort of technically to keep the other three in line. Right. right, business, government, um, military. And now what's happened, I think, and, and I don't think this adjustment is done. The Internet has th- so turned everything on its head. Mm-hmm. And, and personally, I think that a lot of good is going to come out of that. But there's going to be some bad as well, right? I mean, you can't have everything be you know unicorns and rainbows. And, and so what the Internet is doing is it is finally harnessing distributed intelligence, by that I mean, so if I wanted to look something up in 1989, I had to go to the library, I had to know the Dewey Decimal System, I had to mm-hmm. really be motivated, and luckily I was. But there were a lot of folks who weren't, right? And, and now, not true. You want to know something? Go on Twitter. You want to know something about finance, financial Twitter, which I'm a big part of? You, Put your question on there, and some of the smartest people in finance are going to answer your question for you. And so the empowerment of the individual, I think, is like a basic good Mm -hmm. of the Internet. Now, of course, there's a basic bad, too, right? It's like somebody was saying to me the other day, you know, has the world gotten a lot crazier? And I'm like, no, it's just that, that left half of the tail. They never had a microphone right? Mm -hmm. They would send the letter to the editor, and the editors would pass it around and have a chuckle and then bin it, right? Nobody heard from that person. Now, they've got this huge megaphone that they can use. So it's a bit like, yeah, they were always there, Mm -hmm. but now you're hearing from them. But, yeah, I I think curation can solve that problem.
0: Yeah, and I think the the free news is a bit of a problem. Oh, I agree. Because it's all then driven by media, And, and, and I know it was there before, but... And, and your headline on your front page of your newspaper was your traditional clickbait. What is the headline? But that was one headline. And you tend to stick to a paper you like now. But online, there's such low friction to Absolutely. read an article. It's, it's clickbait. I purposely refuse to read anything from BuzzFeed, for example.
1: Yeah. So I, I've gone a bit further. About 10 years ago, I decided that I was going to stop watching all television news because it had become very apparent to me that what had happened was politics is the new religion, mm-hmm. and they are all selling dogma, right? And I don't care if you're a conservative and watching Fox or if you're a liberal and watching MSNBC. It's talking points. It's dogma. It is not open-minded. It is doctrinaire, and it is if you don't agree with us, you're a heretic, burn the witch. And and I don't think that that leads
0: to good outcomes. Nope. And and you're you're meant to be the United States. Exactly. And actually what you are is the divided states right now, and the division suits, I see two groups of people, people who want power in government and media. It's really, the agenda really suits them. The agenda that suits the people is actually everyone coming together and trying to work together. So that is such an interesting
1: comment because I was just having a really long conversation with a friend about that. And... And we were both talking, because we both travel a lot, right? Yep. And, and uh, we joked that when we leave the New York area, we go to real America. And <laughs> and, and we were talking about that. And he, he said to me, do you find that, you know, your average American just is kind of a go along, get along, don't, you know, let's work things out? And I'm like, absolutely. Yep. And so I think it's really refreshing, right? So if you're here in New York or, you know, the New York metro area... You know, it's a very different place, as is San Francisco, by the way. Mm-hmm. So so we get myopic, right? And and we think, you know, it's the old New Yorker cartoon of a New Yorker's view of the world, and it, it's New York and the, and then California and everything else is flyover country. Well, that's absolutely wrong. And when you go to so-called flyover country is where you're going to find those types of Americans that you're talking about. They don't have time for all of these petty divisions and these ridiculous debates that lead nowhere. Mm-hmm. They, they really want to – let's just roll our – I mean, typical American
0: attitude. Yep. Let's roll our sleeves up. Let's work together. Let's get it done. Let's move on. Yep. It, it, that's, the, that's the great thing about traveling outside of these cosmopolitan cities is that – You know, and going out, I've been out to Portland this week. Mm. As I said to you, I've been out to Wyoming. I'm gradually spreading out. I've been invited out to Montana. One of the big shifts that happened with all this traveling is my opinion on guns changed. I was very, very anti-gun. Sure. Now I'm not so anti-gun. I wouldn't say I'm pro everyone having an AR fifteen, but I understand the arguments and when I went out to Wyoming and spent time with the people there and you know, and trying to understand what guns meant to them and the part of their life, I was like, well this isn't a danger. The danger is to people with mental health problems in cosmopolitan cities. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And and it's really such a contentious debate and An unwinnable and, debate. Yeah. And but I like you, you know, I, I live in a very cosmopolitan place and you know guns not a good idea especially when mental health is is in question but the thing that i would say is the thing that i have the greatest admiration for in the united states is the bill of rights mm-hmm. you can't criminalize speech here mm-hmm. because we have the first amendment yeah. and believe me if we didn't have the first amendment we would have
0: criminalized certain speech here Way long ago. You might not know this, Jim. I'm being sued in the UK right now for words, for saying something, for calling somebody a fraud. That's insane. Insane, yeah. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And, and so I watch, I
1: have a lot of business in Canada, love Canadians. They are like among uh, Canadians, Kiwis, Australians, best people on the planet. Yep. But I'm seeing that happening in Canada now where they are letting people sue people for speech. And I think that that is the height of insanity. I mean, look, there's a lot of things that people might say that we disagree with. There's a lot of things that people might say that are crazy, right? But the fact is, the only way you get to sort that out is to have free and open speech. Yep. And, and there's a uh, Peter Thiel's guy who runs his investment Eric job. Eric Weinstein. Yeah. yeah. So Eric has this new podcast called The Portal. And he had a great episode about preference falsification. And that is happening more and more and more, especially in this country, but I'm sure in the UK as well. Mm -hmm. And I talk to younger people, especially, because, you know, I'm 59. I I miss that, right? So I don't falsify my preferences. I might say things that people... I don't know,
0: man. You meme meme like a
1: champ on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm a big believer in... Being who you are. Yeah. And, and so, you know, so, but when I talk to young people, right, oh. and I'll say, okay, so are you ever in a situation where something comes up, you know, let's use guns again. Yeah. And let's say you don't like guns, but you believe in the Second Amendment. Do you, do you say, but I believe in the Second Amendment? Almost to a person, men and women that I talk to that are, let's say, under 40, all have been in situations, not just about guns, but a lot of different things, where they say, no. I, I basically go along and I say, that's really interesting. Why do you do that? It's not worth it. Social, uh, you know, to be ostracized socially. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of reading and Orwell. You know, he wanted to yeah. call that book The Last Man in Europe. Did
0: he really? Yeah.
1: And, interesting. And, and the publisher was like, no, we can't do that. That's just too much. So 1984 all he did was invert 48 cuz that's when it was published. So 1984, but I was revisiting that and so newspeak versus oldspeak. Yeah. And and newspeak is designed to take your conceptual ability to think, even think about things like freedom away from you. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I think it was Wittgenstein who said, you know, the limits of my language are the limits of my world. And and that terrifies me right yep. and so what's happening though i mean you want to see the results of people falsifying their preferences look at the guy who's sitting in the white house in the united states right now talk about preference falsification right and so i think it gets dangerous right because you you can't sit there like the schoolmarm you know talib uh, has that great piece intellectual yet idiot and and i reposted that recently because of some stuff i was working on got a lot of comments um, and it's a real problem. And
0: you being sued in the UK because you called somebody a fraud, to me that is absurd. It would of course is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And he likely is a fraud, and I'm doubling down on it. But he likely is a fraud. But I could be now bankrupted just for saying these words. And it ha- there's been a few things like that in the UK. There was a, a comedian. I'm not approving of this. I, th- I actually think it was. I think it was just a bit vulgar. But he taught his dog to do a Hitler salute. He got put in prison for it. Insane. Ins- which is insane. I don't agree with what he did, but I don't of agree he should be put in prison for it. Of c-
1: and that's always the thing, right? Yeah. They'll take some kind of crazy thing like that, right, that neither you nor I would ever agree with, mm-hmm. th- think that's horrible, but will defend his right to the death to do it, right? Getting put in prison for teaching
0: a dog a dumb trick, I mean – We have to think about these. That's crazy. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. Well, yeah. I I mean, like I said, I don't agree with it. And I think it's better that it's out there and people condemn him if they don't agree. Just say, look, that's a bit tasteless or why are you doing that? Exactly. But if someone wants to find it funny, then so be it. I mean, I'm a big supporter of of, of – I think the comedy hall is, should be the the first bastion of free speech. Totally agree. My because, daughter is a stand up comedian. Right. Well you had these people in colleges who are having to sign non offensive agreements and it's just like, well hold on, hold on. You can't be offended with comedy. Comedy is about testing testing you and testing you as an individual. I don't even know what offending means anymore, Jim. <laughs> I really don't. I agree. What, and what, you know what happens when you're offended? Exactly. it's
1: like okay grow I'm up i'm offended they what <laughs> uh, you stop being offended yeah and you move on with your life yeah you know it's ricky gervais i love yeah great guy and and i look at him as a hero man i mean the guy is out there uh same with dave chappelle here in the united states yep. um uh jonathan Pye in the yep. uk I like, um, I like bill burr yeah bill burr is fantastic yep. and you know what they are they're the vanguard They are like, no, 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 we're not doing this. Mm -hmm. We have to have the right to speak freely. And if you get offended, get offended. And, you know, who would have ever thought, right? Lenny Bruce, who was a very uh, famous comedian here in the U.S. in the 50s and 60s, died tragically of a drug overdose at 40, age 40. Uh, But he got arrested. He got arrested, I don't know how many times, because he said uh, swear words on stage. I mean, honestly? Really? But so people who don't know that don't know that there was this huge group of people. And since we're on comedy, we'll stay there, right? Like Lenny Bruce, you know, George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Um, all of these people broke new ground and, and they opened up the conversation. And I'm a huge fan. I mean, we were talking about it the other night. And, and one of the things that I, I tend to be a really rational optimist, right? And so we were talking about the United States and, and my daughter was here with her boyfriend. And, and I said, you know what's really interesting? When I was born in the United States in 1960, okay, Jim Crow laws were still in effect that uh, uh, precluded black people from voting in the okay, South. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my sister, my oldest sister, who unfortunately died, was married to a black guy, an immigrant. And her marriage, when she got married, was illegal in half of the states of the United States. Did they and,
0: deal with a lot of uh, abuse for that? Uh,
1: they lived in a pretty liberal area, okay. Denver. So so luckily, no. But, but the point is, 1971, you're a woman. You want a credit card. You have to have your husband's approval. That's crazy, right? And look at how this country changed. I think gay rights. I mean, look at how quickly we were able to adopt a much more tolerant attitude towards a lot of things. And I think a lot of that comes from back to comedy, from people kind of pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. They call it the Overton window. I'm sure yeah. you've heard of it, right? Yeah. And, and and so the Overton window moves around a lot. But if you understand history, it always has, right? So one of the examples I love to give is, is uh, I, I love British history and I love European history in general, and I love Roman history and Greek But so um, an example is, like, in the late 18th century, early 19th century, one of the fashions in Paris was for women to wear sheer tops without bras, right? So that their breasts were completely visible.
0: Sounds fantastic.
1: (laughs) Yep, right? (laughs) 20 years later, gone. High necklines, everything demure. The Overton window shifted. Fashion shifted. So, you know... I always kind of smile when, when I hear people say, well, we're living in unprecedented times. No, we're not. I mean, yeah, we have a lot of really cool things like the Internet, like the raw power of distributed intelligence. Yeah, those are great. But look, human behavior doesn't change that often, no. right? It's like I was talking to a, a European journalist earlier today, and, and, and I was saying, you know, the last sustainable edge in investing is human behavior arbitraging human behavior because it doesn't change. (laughs) And you know, the more history you read, the more you understand this, right? It's like somebody was bemoaning the fact that, Oh, you know, those millennials don't understand the baby boomers, and the baby boomers don't understand the millennials. And I, I laugh, right? All of my kids are millennials, and I've been made an honorary millennial by many people on Twitter. <laughs> but but the, the the joke is that's been the way it's been from all the way back to ancient Greece, yep. right? If you go to the original readings of, of writings and stuff,
0: it was like, this new generation, they're crazy. <laughs> no, they're not. Nope. They just lived a different life. Exactly. That's all it is. Which Um, is fine. Yeah. And they will live a different life from their kids. But I do think, I do think there's a few things we, we, I don't want to say we need to be careful because that's almost like I'm saying other people have a responsibility. But, you know, one of the things I'm jealous of being from the UK, I'm jealous of the Bill of Rights. Yeah, I'm very, very jealous that you have that because I don't fully understand the history. One of the things I'd like to do is actually find a very good book on the history of the Bill of Rights, how it came, how it is debated, how the like the founding fathers agreed on what was important.
1: I actually might have a couple of titles for you. I'm going to have to look them up though so they're right. We'll do that afterwards
0: because I, I really want to understand it because I do feel like your Constitution is under attack. It is constantly at the moment, and it's really, really interesting. And one of the things that also crosses my mind is that. Does there come a time where it has to be redebated? So, for example, is, it, is the Second Amendment the gun rights? Right. You know, we're in a very different time now. The weapons are very different from then. That's right. Does it need reconsidering? I don't know. It, do, is there anything built into the, the the U.S. Constitution that allows things to be redebated? Absolutely. Right. And that is amending the Constitution.
1: Yep. But the founders made it ridiculously hard to do that. Good, good. And And they did that. For a reason, right? We lucked out. Again, sometimes it's just luck. We, we were founded at, at kind of the height of the age of enlightenment and reason.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and all the thinking then were the natural rights of mankind, uh, all of those things. And all of those things informed our constitution and as well as a realistic viewpoint about what human beings are all about. Well, but you were
0: were being ruled by by us (laughs) (laughs) from across an ocean. I mean, (laughs) once once you've got rid of us, it's kind of like, well, we don't want to be in that position again. We don't want an an authoritarian ruler. So what are the things we can put in place to ensure that? Exactly. And so I I personally, uh,
1: you know, venerate the U.S. Constitution, but I also venerate even more the Bill of Rights because they realized when they read the Constitution, hey, wait a minute. There's a lot of room for interpretation here. Mm -hmm. Let's take that away. Let's make sure the First Amendment... I mean, to me, the First Amendment is one of the greatest inventions that men have come up with, right? And and that is the ability to speak your mind no matter what and not have other people in a position where they can throw you in jail Mm -hmm. or silence you or do any of that. Because, again...
0: That's how we learn. That's how we move further. So, let me ask you something then with regard to that because a hotbed of discussion around the First Amendment right now is Twitter with yeah. people losing their accounts or being banned. I've had a 12 hour ban once. Mm-hmm. I, um, I had a guy constantly trolling me. I called him a Mangina. <laughs> and I'm assuming that crossed. Yeah, I know. Because I just thought he was being wet. I, I, but I'm I assuming that crossed some kind of. I don't well, know.
1: given given I know I, I have a lot of Brit friends, I, there was there's a colloquial that in this country is very bad, but in Britain it's not bad at
0: all. Cunt. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> it can be bad. Actually, you know, what, Jim, yeah, people are going to hear it. There's two ways, you know, and I think Ricky Gervais covered it very well when he explained it. It's like if you're like, he's a massive cunt. He's a terrible, terrible human. But if you say, oh, he's a funny gun, he's like the funniest you exactly. can be. But we say it just all the time. We say right. it like you say, jerk. Exactly. And, and nobody says, problem, I have to hold my lips shut here because i <laughs> said it. Somebody looked <laughs> to me like I killed a baby. <laughs> right. I was like, what? Yeah, well,
1: you know the old joke about America and the UK, it's uh, two countries separated by a common language.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, wasn't, wasn't there a guy, once you kicked us out, he just made some amendments to the language. To, so he he got rid of the uh, U in color, right. for example, and the U in favor. <laughs> and uh, you changed the S's in things like centralized d- d- disease. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What, was, do you know, what was that all about? Was that I, just like some of your own identity? I think so, yeah. yeah. But back to Twitter. Oh, yeah, so back so, to Twitter. So, 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 I just, sorry, so I got a 12-hour ban, and quite interestingly since then, my engagements dropped as well in certain ways. But I've noticed now that certain people, I mean, I don't agree with, like, it's very tricky, actually, let me say. It's very tricky because if somebody was harassing me on Twitter, and abusing me and saying awful things over and over and it was just repetitive i guess i can block or mute them but it's not very nice at the same time there's a thing on quillette i think put out that was saying people are now being banned for saying things which are biological fact right so for example at the moment a big topic is trans and trans rights which is great do whatever the fuck you want but there are certain people now who for example are, are crossing sports so there was a man who, and I, I'll probably get my terminology wrong or pronouns wrong, if, if there's a listener offended, I apologize, but he uh, became a woman, started fighting MMA, broke someone's skull. Yeah. There's a, a rugby player who broke someone's leg, and I've just like, we really need to be very careful about yeah,
1: this. Yeah, I mean, it's a really sticky wicket, right? Because on the one hand, you 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 want to be in favor of people being able to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, the idea of, biological uh, men who become women going into women's sports. I mean, that's tough, right? Because I saw a piece the other day that said, you know, if we allow this, we're going to wipe out women's sports. Yep. It's going to be men's sports and co-ed sports. But
0: the bigger point is that we should be able to discuss this Yes, on Twitter. Yes. And I don't feel like I should be – so I don't think I can go on Twitter now and say I think it's a disgrace that this person who is now – who is biologically a man, who is now a trans woman, God, I hope I've got this right, Sh- should not be able to do this. Right. I fear that I would get reported and banned. Probably. And that's where li- I think liberalism has gone too far.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that, that I do for the most part is I try to take a very stoic attitude towards all things political. And I usually don't get engaged there because, you know, it's like the old joke, don't wrestle with pigs because they like the mud. Yeah. Uh, I don't like the mud. And, and I don't think that I'm helping anyone. I'm, not change, I'm certainly not changing anyone's mind. And, and so I, I, you know, I read a lot of Marcus Aurelius. I, I read a lot of Seneca, the Stoics, right? Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that that taught me was don't concern yourself with anything that you personally, through your own actions, can't change, right? And so if you think about things that way, there's so many things that just suck the energy out of people. And they're diversions, and they're bad diversions at that. And and one of the things that I just don't understand, I actually did a Twitter thread about it, and I reposted it because of some stuff I was reading that concerned me. It's basically, it's like, listen, this is not some big conspiracy by society. It's the way society has always been. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to make you, they're trying to knock you into a form that is most useful to society. Yep. And, and it's not like, Okay, it's you know there's a conspiracy. No, it's that's society. Just choose not to be so knocked. And the way I look at it is, don't get diverted by all of those meaningless arguments where no one is going to change their mind. people are shouting at each other. Yeah, and and I've uh, done it. Yeah, of course, we all have. But but basically, what I'll do is is so I I, I try to avoid all of those because they're just time sucks. And I'm yeah. not going to change anyone's mind. And, and
0: nor do I expect that I will. Well, I do it sometimes. i tell you why I do it. And I, I upset a lot of Bitcoin people as well doing this. But whilst I have a Bitcoin show, I don't actually make it for Bitcoiners. I think that's where some of them are confused. I make it for people who might be interested in Bitcoin or thinking about Bitcoin and want to come in. It's a very easy, gentle show to come into. Just some Bitcoiners like it. But I use Twitter as a research tool. Oh,
1: yes, I mean, absolutely. As do I. I've got a lot of projects yeah. going on. But,
0: but I will put out something provocative – because I want to see the response, and that helps me decide how to make a show or what to make a show about. Interesting. So I don't just talk about Bitcoin. I've done a show about guns. I've, You know, I'm t- what I'm talking to you about today about you know, the U.S. Constitution, the censorship. I think these things are very interesting topics, but I really like to challenge them. And I really like to put out something that really might even upset people. Sure. Be- not because I want to have a fight. I just want to see you know where their values are what you know for example there's this guy this week called hotep jesus who's a provocateur you know he says some outrageous things and he's got a mild interest in bitcoin i've totally gone on his side where all the bitcoiners have gone against him and the reason i've gone on his side is that there's going to be lots of people like him who might come into bitcoin of all different attitudes there's something going to be really annoying and i want to see how bitcoiners react to them Sure. And they don't like that I've supported him. And I'm going to support him because I want to learn about that. I don't learn anything by just talking to Bitcoiners about Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm totally with you. Uh, I, I was on Pomp's show. And, yeah. and basically, I got to say, I don't know. I don't know how many times. I should count them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, that was a great show, by the way. Uh, oh, thank you. And I look, I'm fascinated by things like Bitcoin because I don't know. Uh, honestly, there, are, I, I see a lot of challenges, right? Not a good thing because there is a historical precedent when the United States made owning gold illegal. And was that Nixon? It, no, no, that was, was FDR. That FD- was Franklin
0: Delano Roosevelt. Okay. that was in the thirties. Okay. So I say so. Nixon know. closed the gold window. Yes, and different thing. Right. I I don't I don't know. So I'm aware of the Nixon one. Tell me about the other one. So
1: so FDR uh, during the depression no. decided that to get people to stop hoarding right and and insisting on gold he was just going to take away the right to own gold. And he did quite efficiently. You were allowed to own jewelry, gold jewelry, Mm -hmm. but that was it. And you went to jail if people found you with gold. Wow. And, and so I extend that thinking to Bitcoin, right? So the United States, despite what some people might believe, is still the world's biggest economy Mm -hmm. and the powerhouse. And if the United States decides for what, Ever reason that you know what Bitcoin yeah no that's illegal yep. and by the way if we find you with Bitcoin you're going to prison for the rest of your life that would put a real crimp in it mm. now I've talked to people who have a lot of friends who are really into Bitcoin and know so much more about it than I do I'm the mm-hmm. first to admit my ignorance and, and so I ask them these questions because I'm interested and they, they, the most common response is well no what will happen is it'll just move offshore and I'm like, okay, makes sense. But if it's not available in the world's biggest economy, don't you think that that's going to kind of put a crimp in its style? And, you know, yeah, I was just right. I was just recently in Africa, and I, I quipped to my wife, you know, because we were talking about Bitcoin. And, and I said, when the game guides prefer a Bitcoin transfer to U.S. dollars, then I'll know
0: they're on to something. <laughs> well, interestingly, so... With my podcast, I, my, all my sponsors are American-based, but I'm based in the UK. Sure. I actually prefer to be paid in Bitcoin. Exactly. It's, it's very is, strange. It just which, makes my life a lot easier. Sure. But there's a whole bunch of like th- game theory or theories about what will happen if the, the US banned it. Yes, it wouldn't be helpful short-term. It could be counterproductive to the US because what's happening is there is like this dual Bitcoin economy that's growing. Right. So there's suspicion and almost an expectation that Bitcoin is being used to get around sanctions. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't surprise me because at all. You can't, can't be very hard to stop, very hard to, you know, uh, you know, you can stop, you can control the banking system as the U.S., but you cannot control Bitcoin. Also, if you ban it, you can keep it in your head because it's numbers. Do you own any Bitcoin? I own a
1: Bitcoin hedge fund. Have um, you ever yourself owned Bitcoin? Have you outright. ever actually like done it? No. What? Um, and, and I'm going to give you some after this.
0: Uh, okay, that's great. Yeah.
1: The, the reason we did the hedge fund, so O'Shaughnessy Family Partners is the kind of family office yep. that, that owns uh, O'Shaughnessy Asset Management. Uh, we have a lot of employees who also are owners, but we also make a lot of different investments. And, and so my son, Patrick, who has yep. the uh, Invest Like the Best podcast, yep. uh, did this great series on Bitcoin. And I remember we were at a memorial for my cousin's uh, son who had died tragically very young, and we had like half an hour in the hotel lobby before the bus came to get us to take us to the thing and i said okay this is he had just finished it and i went 30 minutes explain bitcoin to me he did a very good job which actually led to this investment so one of the things that i like to do is i i'm a big believer that you can intellectually understand things but unless you put some skin in the game you're not going to really pay attention, yeah right great and and so I said to Patrick, "Well, what do you think?" and he's like, "Well, these guys who I interviewed, you know they can also short Bitcoin mm-hmm. and the various things and and I'm like, that's intriguing to me, and so you know that was a couple of years ago. Have I learned anything? You know, to be honest, not really. Well, if you started a couple of years ago, you would have made money. We, well, so what was so, <laughs> on super, paper? Yeah. So what was super funny about it was uh, we we made the investment right before like Bitcoin soared, right? Nice. And so we're we're looking at the statement. and I'm like, maybe we should have put some more money yeah, in this. Yeah. Well, then it crashed. Yeah. And and the are the, our, our, the value of our investment actually went below our original investment. And okay. now it's above it again. Yeah. But you know, to me, okay, I've seen stocks do that all my career. right? So I'm not learning. I'm, it keeps me interested. It keeps me interested in listening to folks like you mm-hmm. and, and having conversations with people who know far more about it than I do. I, you know, I think the most powerful thing that we as investors can do is admit I don't know. Okay. Because when you are willing to say I don't know, you learn things. Because yeah. uh, y- you know you're not trying to defend a position. You're not trying to say, well, you know, gosh, Bitcoin is going to work because X Y Z, or Bitcoin isn't going to work because of X Y Z. Uh, educate me. Yeah. And 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 so it's 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 interesting to me because so. I, I put a thing up on Twitter the other day, you know, that the most successful myth in my estimation is the belief that money has value.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: If you think about it. Hey, I've learned that with Bitcoin. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so but if we collectively as a world didn't believe that, we'd still be in huts. We'd still be, you know, hunting and gathering. Mm-hmm. And, and the myth of money, right, uh, I call it ground state reality. So ground state reality, to me, is what the most people on the planet Earth, wherever you happen to be sitting on planet Earth, believe. And and the Internet, by the way, I think is, is fooling around with ground state reality. And okay. I think it's changing ground okay. state reality. That's a different topic. But anyway, so the first thing that sprung to mind was, wow, money. We have – I don't know. Do you like Rick and Morty? Have you ever seen Rick and Morty? <sighs>
0: I I know it, but it's not. So, really I've so never I, got into it, but I you know I've I've actually there's a guy who memes Bitcoin with uh, Rick and Morty shows, and I've actually recorded an overdub for you. Oh, fantastic! Yeah.
1: So my friend Dan Jeffries wrote a great essay about Rick and Morty and the meaning of life, um, and he uh, got me turned on to Jed McKenna, the uh, spiritual warfare guy. Really mm-hmm. interesting stuff. Um, and so anyway, my my eldest daughter, I have three kids, so. My son works with me at OSAM. Yep. I have two grandchildren with him who wow. I adore. It's great to be 59 and have a five-year-old grandson, a yeah, three-year-old man. granddaughter. My daughter, Kate, is an author of uh, children's uh, – or not – she'd kill me for that <laughs> – of middle-grade fiction. Right, okay. Um, she has a book coming out next year, and she lives in Berkeley. Um, And then my youngest is a stand-up comedian. Yeah, and she's moving to Brooklyn from Chicago, and I'm delighted. Great. But the um, the Kate, my middle daughter, we were talking about before I'd read Dan's essay. Right? She's like, Dad, you you've seen Rick and Morty, right? And I'm like, No, what's that? And they, uh, her husband and she went, Oh my God, (laughs) you are going to love this show. And so literally, I watched all of them in one sitting. You gotta watch now it.
0: Now I've got to do it
1: because there is one bit, that, and the reason I bring it up yep. is so. So Rick is this super genius yep. who has figured out how to go through all of the uh, alternate universes, and 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 he's hysterical. He's an alcoholic because of the real nature of the universe, which, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so anyway. He gets caught by the galactic authority, right? Yeah. And they're trying to get his secrets out of him and, uh-huh. and they can't do it. And he outsmarts them and he breaks free with the help of his grandkids. And, and so they go up to the level, the, the most important level of the intergalactic thing. And he says, I am going to watch my kids wa- watch this work. I'm going to destroy. The galactic empire. And they're like, what are you going to drop uh, weapons from space? Are you going to you know, launch a, uh, you know, all-out attack on all their warships? He goes, no, no, no. I like the ideas, but something much simpler. I'm going to destroy them by changing a one to a zero. And the one to the zero is the exchange rate on the galactic currency. Right, okay. So he changes it to zero. Everything collapses. <laughs> Brilliant.
0: <laughs> but you're right. You're right. You know, and I think a lot of people just walk through life just not really thinking about money. I mean, I was, I was debating with my friend the other day how outdated the education system is. Oh. You know, we don't even teach children about money, like what it is, what it means, how you use it, like what inflation means, you know, what it means to save. We don't do any of that. And now you're on one of my
1: uh, things that I always get on a soapbox about because, oh. first off. Uh, our education system in the United States is the way it w- is because of farmers mm-hmm. <laughs> and because of industrialization. And guess what? They wanted to make sure that people could sit quietly in a room for eight hours because yeah. they were going to do that in the factory. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we are so behind where we should be, mm-hmm. in my opinion of education and financial education is is woeful there's a great book called innumeracy by uh john paulos who's a mathematician i would recommend and you brought up inflation adjusting I, i honestly people cannot get their head around it they literally can't get their head around inflation and so i tried all these various ways to do it like Okay, so if you know it's it's 1990 and you've got ten thousand dollars and your ten thousand dollars buys a basket of goods that has a hundred units, right, and you give that money to a money manager and and ten years later you've got twenty thousand, he's doubled your money. Wow, he's great, right? Well, not really. you've got to see what does that twenty thousand buy mm-hmm. if it buys a basket of ninety items. No good. No good. Yeah. And so, but it's really funny because because of that natural sort of inability to get inflation, guess what government does? <laughs> they, I hate to admit it, but they're pretty smart. I mean, it happened in this country in the seventies. What did we do? We monetized the debt. We inflated our way out of the huge debts that the U S had. And because the U S could Issue its debt in its own currency. How crazy is that, right? <laughs> well, and and yet, we'll do it again. It's it's happening right now, I mean, right? With yeah, all this QE
0: and blah blah blah. I think I'm gonna struggle with twenty trillion. <laughs> it's it's insane well this is why bitcoiners love bitcoin because of the, one of the most important things is there will only ever be 21 million you right. can't print anymore right so by nature as more people adopt it it, it, it it has more value i
1: agree and and that sort of stuff fascinates me and and if you reach that tipping point right where where the majority are adopting then you're golden right, right. because then it gets then it gets chunked in to your the part of your brain that the myth uh, money has value, yep. right? And and then suddenly just Bitcoin's money. I have a question for you. Then. Yeah, shoot. So you saw the thing about Google and, and the quantum computer. Yeah. Okay. What happens when we actually get quantum computers? Aren't all of those security protocols
0: of Bitcoin child's play to a quantum computer? So as my understanding is, is that... You can write quantum-resistant cryptography. Really? Yeah, but it's just a different, like a different form of cryptography. I'd be so out of my depth. But my understanding, so Bitcoin has this thing called soft forks and hard forks. Okay. A hard fork is where essentially, you have to make a... You know Bitcoin is a chain of blocks, right? I do,
1: yeah. Well, I say I don't know. I have the basics
0: down. Oh, I'm only at the basics still now. That's why a lot of people hate me (laughs) because they they expect me to know so much more. But uh, essentially, when you do a hard fork, you're making a certain change to the core protocol. The only way it can be done is with a hard fork. And what that means is that the the blockchain splits. Ah. Now, if all the miners move over to the noob chain, Mm -hmm. it's not a problem. But some of them might not. Some of them might mine the old chain, and then suddenly you have two coins. This is why we went from Bitcoin and now have Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV and all those nonsense. Because of this reason. Yes. Now, as my understanding is, for a quantum-resistant Bitcoin, that would require a hard fork. Uh But that's fine. In that scenario, you're probably fine because the other one doesn't hard fork. It will be destroyed by the quantum computers anyway. And also, my other understanding is that realistically we are decades away from any usable quantum computer yeah
1: i I think i definitely agree about that i'm you know i always my grandkids problems yeah 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 i i always try to stay up on all of that stuff because it
0: fascinates me next up i talked to jim more about free speech and the financial system and investing but before that i have a message from my amazing sponsors first up the mighty mighty kraken And they recently had a massive announcement. They've launched their first mobile app, Kraken Pro, which allows you to trade Bitcoin on the go. So it doesn't matter whether you are on the bus, on a train, whether you're in Starbucks, or whether you're just sat on the couch watching Liverpool Smash City, you can download Kraken Pro and trade on the go. There's so much packed into the app. They've got real-time price updates, multiple charting and order book display options. They've got advanced trading features so you can go long or short on eight different cryptocurrencies. You've got to 5x margin trading. You can open and close your positions in bulk in just a few taps. You can view your complete order history of all order types, trades, positions, deposits, and withdrawals. And the app comes with a deep and liquid set of 100 cryptocurrency markets, fees as low as 0%, and 24-7, 365, global customer support. The app is badass. Go download it now. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Also, lastly, but never least, is the amazing BlockFi, the future of financial services and Bitcoin. They've got two products now which you can use. They've got their interest accounts and their crypto back loans. And with the interest accounts, of which I am accustomed and I am loving getting my interest every month, they have dropped all minimum deposits. Interest account holders no longer have to meet a minimum deposit amount in their Bitcoin, Ether or GSD balances to start earning interest. BlockFi have also removed the early withdrawal penalty from the account and is now offering one free withdrawal per month for all clients add to this their recent announcement of BlockFi Flex where you can choose to receive your interest payment in the currency of your choice you really need to be checking this company out you should definitely do your own research but if you're interested in trying out BlockFi then head over to BlockFi.com which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com So I want to ask something back to you because the education thing is a really important thing to me. So I've been having an ongoing battle debate between my son and my ex-wife to do with my son's education. He has no interest in biology, physics, all these things he has to do, right? He's doing terrible. At them. How old is he? He's 15. Okay. So I had an agreement with him. I said to him if you choose not to do your homework or not to do very well in these subjects and not rev- to revise, you won't get in trouble with me as long as you replace them with something else. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, so therefore he has to work at them. But my view being is that, like my theory and the reason the education system hasn't changed is that the way it's currently set up is very easy to measure and to create league tables between schools and also for political parties to use to say, oh, look, we've improved education. Mm-hmm. But realistically, I think... You know, like one of my friends said, we're still teaching children to memorize facts when they're carrying around super in their pockets. (laughs) In in their pockets, yeah. And, you know, with the growth of AI and automation, my view is that we should be teaching a lot more in creativity. We should be uh, allowing our children to spend a lot more time on expressing their creativity. Not, I mean, they get one art lesson a week, yet seven science lessons.
1: So, so, yeah, I have very strong views on this. I, I think that you are absolutely right. I can really only speak to... I I know a bit about the UK's educational system and and, uh, how what what we think is a private school is a public school. Yeah, yeah. But um, here in the United States, the tyranny of measurement, the tyranny of teaching to a test, I think has destroyed, and I I hope not intentionally, but destroyed natural curiosity. Mm -hmm. Because essentially... The, the minute the the what you're aiming for becomes uh, something measurable, it, it ceases to to have much value, right? Like so, when the Brits were in India and there was a rat problem, right? People who brought in rat tails, showing that they'd killed rats, right, mm-hmm. got paid pound sterling. Well, guess what people did? They bred rats, cut their tails off, <laughs> and and brought the tails in, and so the rat problem exploded, <laughs> yep. right? So so. One of the things that I'm a deep believer in is you should be absolutely orienting a, a child's education today towards creativity, towards synthesis, the ability to synthesize ideas, mm-hmm. right? Now, so I'm I'm 59. I'm older. One of my things was I memorized 100 poems when I was like 18 years old. Okay. And so the one part about memorization that I do think is really helpful is like, I have access to lots of things immediately in my mind mm-hmm. that people who haven't memorized, right? So it's like uh, T.S. Eliot, uh, the love song of jail for proof rock, right? Uh, Let us go. Then you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky, like a patient etherized upon a table. Okay. So,
0: Bam. That was really cool.
1: <laughs> so, so bam, yep. if I'm looking for something that I want to make a point or whatever, I'm writing something or whatever, the access to all of that, you know, Shakespeare, my God, mm-hmm. the man was a genius. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, shall I compare thee to a summer's Someday. day, thou art more lovely and more temperate. <laughs> Rough winds may shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Wow. Now, this guy. Yeah. Whoa. This was a genius. Uh-huh. But what's cool about it is because I did that, I get instant access, right? Because I know about it. The thing that I worry about, and I'm sure we'll figure out, right, is that if you, if you don't have that memory, mm-hmm. if you don't have that instant thing that you can grab onto. You might be, it's like, so I have a lot of fun with GIFs on, on, on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so there's, there's like two schools of thought, which I just think are hysterical, yeah. right? So millennials, and it's almost always millennials. Mm-hmm. The first school of thought is that there's no way it's actually me. <laughs> right. And, and I've gotten like impassioned emails, generally from people in India, which I find interesting. And it's like, dear sir, I mean you no disrespect, but you
0: are simply too old to
1: be this good at gifts.
0: <laughs> I, I said it earlier in our thing. You're a meme king. Like, you know, I was like... This, this, it, because when I was preparing, I was like, he's not 59. No way. I've seen him meme. Like, he kills it.
1: <laughs> so, so the first school of thought is that I've got a huge team of millennials who are doing all this. That's what I The see. one that I really am yeah, intrigued by, though, and I, and I must admit that I tease some people into maybe saying, oh, maybe you might be right, is the school of thought that we have some killer AI at OSAM <laughs> that I'm just playing with on Twitter yeah. just to see how it works. And literally... Those people, they're like, I knew it. <laughs> 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 and um, so I I, I, I love millennials. I yeah. love young people. I, you know, just my grandfather surrounded himself with young people all of his life, and it keeps you young, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I have a lot of millennial friends, and and like one guy was just saying to me, "Come on, come on, you just just tell me." And I'm just like, "I'm going to give you a hint. Here's the hint. I have thirty years." more of cultural references than you do. Yes. So, and he went, oh, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, right? So, it's, it's like the, that goes without saying, from Young Frankenstein, uh-huh. right? So, so, Gene Wilder, great comic, a lot of people who are young never saw Young Frankenstein. They don't know about Mel Brooks. They don't yep. know about Blazing Saddles. By the way, a movie that could not be made today. Not a chance. In fact, most of his movies couldn't no. be made today. no. Um, but I know about all of that stuff. And so I'm able to just
0: immediately go, oh, this reminds me of that. But back to education. Yeah. So, well, so my thing is, like, how does it change? Because I don't want us to get to a point where they can't, you know, they're not learning things. They need to learn. They need to go through a process of learning. But I just feel like there's a balance wrong. So, for example, my problem with testing and exams is this, is that I've employed people, you have. When you employ somebody, you don't put them in a the room and say, right, for the next two hours, you can't talk to anyone, and you're not allowed a computer or a calculator, right. and I want the answer back. You give them a computer, and you give them a calculator, you give them pens, and you give them colleagues, and they figure stuff out together. And Exactly. I, to me, that's the real world. That's right. And we are not educating for the
1: real world at all. No. And I think that... So one of the things that I've always found to be true, and I'm sure there's tons of exceptions, but the... Most curious people in the world are also the ones that I find to be the smartest, right? And that's because they know that they're not that smart, right? They're they're wise in the Socratic sense of knowing how little they know, right? That's why I do this. Exactly. You want to call me wise? It's only because I know, like, very
0: little, Jim, I <laughs> but wanna, I can look it up. I want to meet as many people as I can from as diverse backgrounds, and I just want to ask them questions and find out stuff. Which like, is fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, love that. It's I the mean, best
1: job in the world. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's kind of what I do now, right? It's So I, I'm so lucky in that, like, most people will take my call. Yeah, and and so I have met some of the most fascinating people in the world and learned so much. But that's the thing, right? So Dorothy Parker, who was one of the Algonquin table wits, had a tragic life, but uh, she well, she had a quip that was the the cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity, and and she's right, right? I mean, yeah. if you live your life in constant curiosity, which is the way I live mine, mm-hmm. right? It's so cool mm-hmm. because you get to learn so many things that you didn't know. Yep. The worst thing that we can do, and back to education, is, is to make kids believe that that certification means anything because mm-hmm. it doesn't. You know, five years out of college, okay, so they've done studies on this, right? So if you go to one of the Ivy Leagues like uh, Oxbridge yep. in, in the UK, yeah, yeah. here it's Yale, Harvard, yep. Princeton, so if, if you go to – and my daughter graduated from Yale, my other two kids from Notre Dame, so they went to really great schools. But – so if you get out of the Ivies, for the next five years, you have a huge and massive advantage over people who went to a state school, okay? Yep. You, you cannot argue it. Huge because of the network that you have because of everything. Yep. However, after those five years, guess what happens? That advantage begins to diminish, diminish.
0: Why? Because Experience. you're now being. Exactly. You're now being judged on your performance. Well, because when you go for that first job, what does it say? It says Not not a Dame, or it says yeah, or, you know, versus whatever, and whatever you've done on the weekend and any kind of volunteering work you've exactly. done. Exactly. But then it's like, oh, I've worked at X company, I delivered this, I've worked at. And also. People get a feel for you absolutely, and you know you 're seeing it happen right now, so
1: there was a kid on Twitter right who put it out there that he wanted to work in programming and and uh, because somebody else had access to like his reddit and and they saw that he was like this champion gamer and programmer, mm-hmm. they offered him a
0: job right there and that 's happening more and more and more i 'll tell you a funny story, so I used to have an advertising agency in London, um, digital side of things. And whenever we'd put out a job opportunity for a graduate, we'd get about 80 to 100 applications. And it was really hard to filter them because you could very easily just go, well, let's give all the people the highest qualification on the degrees, and that didn't work. So what we started to do was we would just give each CV a very quick like, look. Did anything stand out? Yeah. And move on. Just a very quick look. Yeah. One day, this one comes in, and it wasn't a Word document. It was an infographic. Interesting. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like this guy's done it and and I was just like and it was beautiful and I was like that's really interesting so he came in for the interview and he got the job on the spot yep because he just thought differently and he was one of my best ever employees Alex Carapit went on to do some amazing things great guy but but he blew my mind and this is one of the things I was trying to get across to my son is like Jim my grades were terrible like lower bottom third of this thing but I've never struggled because I've worked hard and been a bit lucky at times I worked hard but I said to him if I said, if there's something you want to do and you work hard at it, you'll be a success. If you yep. want to be an actor, you work hard, you'll be successful. If you want to be a, an artist, but you've got to put the hours in. Yep. Yep, Unfortunately, you do. He won't, he won't do it right now. Well, you know, yeah. again,
1: 15, give him time. Yeah. You know, our brains aren't fully formed until we're 25 anyway. So I don't think mine's there, yeah. <laughs> Mine probably isn't. <laughs> I'm certain of that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think you're on the right track. The The track is, you know, you need to take responsibility and and, and help your kids along, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the state's job. Nope. It's not somebody else's job. It's it's your job. I mean, one of yeah. the best things that I ever did with my kids, right, was – so I was lucky because my wife and I got married very young. We were 22. Nice. Okay. And we had Patrick when we were 24. But we had had conversations about, you know, what's our goal? How, you know, how do we want to raise our kids? And we, we came up with a really simple line, which was – we want our kids to be great adults. Now, if you think about that for a minute.
0: Let them be kids.
1: But also, think of how many things it precludes. If you want your children to be great adults, there's yep. no saying, you're going to do this because I'm the father, you're the child, and you're living under my roof. Yeah. doesn't work, right? I said that. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you want them to yeah. be a great adult, what do you do? You get them to present a case to you. Yep. So... Whenever my kids would come to me, I'm lucky in that I'm blessed with a pretty good memory, especially if I've read it. And, and so they would come to me and try to use me as Google before Google, right? Yeah. And, and I have a huge bookcase at my house, and what I would say to them is, the answer is in there. Look it up. And, you know, at the time, <laughs> they, they weren't happy about that. But guess what? You got a bunch of incredibly curious, bright people who got used to finding the answers on their own, yep. and and again, just sort of that simple line of demarcation, we want great adults, led to behaviors on my part and my wife's part that, A, encouraged certain things like arguing mm-hmm. or
0: or presenting a reasonable request. Isn't it funny, though, that first time when your kids are growing up, you always, you know, you maybe tell them off. And one day that comes, they come to you with a thing, and you're like, "Shit, you're right. <laughs> yes. I'm in the wrong here. Oh God, now how do I deal with this? Do I apologise? Do I say I'm sorry? Do I too stop being cheeky?" That, that, I remember that first happened with my son. That was, you know, changed. And look, I'm Jim. I'm learning as a father as I go, and my son's my guinea pig for it because he's my firstborn. Right. I was 24 like you. And I'm doing a better, I think I'm doing a better job with my daughter and I'm trying to, sometimes I do that. you are under my house <laughs> but I also get them to challenge authority. My son had this thing at school, I think I might have talked about it on the podcast before but he had a creative piece of work he had to do. It's a monologue mm-hmm. and he found one online that he really liked and it was set during the era of segregation in the US and it was a guy, a white guy in a factory who was criticizing the fashion and style of black people. Okay. It's a really interesting creative piece. It's a historically creative piece mm-hmm. and his teacher on first review said oh i'm not sure you can do this because we may have some people watching who are black and might be offended and he came back and said oh dad i'm not sure i can do it and i said well let's talk about this right do you want to do it and he said yes i said why he said well i think it's a really good piece i said well this this is about creativity and what's actually happening is a form of censorship yeah and i said he tried to explain what censorship is and i said to him look you have my permission if they ban you from doing this to refuse to do anything. Very cool. Yeah, he didn't want to do it. He was like, no, <laughs> Dad, I'm not like you. I don't want to be confrontational. But I, I wanted him to have that opportunity to have a think about it. Well, you know, almost. And what happened? Uh, he ended up doing the piece. Great. Yeah, he ended up, uh, they allowed but, it in the end but, because but, they realized it wasn't racist. Yeah, that's the thing.
1: Yeah, and, but, but that's interesting to me, Peter, because either outcome would have been a great lesson for your yeah. son, right? The, the, the outcome of doing it, doing a unique and creative thing and 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 being able to do that, but also denied father's permission to say, sorry, you're not going to censor me. Yep, That's a nice message, too.
0: I'll tell you what doesn't help, though, is because I'm separated from his mother and we're very different on our views. I'm yeah. like challenge authority. I was like, you can challenge your mother. You can challenge me. You can't be rude. Right. You can challenge schooling. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Like you say, if you've got a good case. His mum's like, no, he needs his exams. He need-. and she's, she's. I think the problem is we're both right. I think he does need his exams and his sure. results, but he he needs a bit of both. But uh, it's really interesting. I mean, I mean, let me ask you another thing. Was, so you you've you've got a few years on me. You got nineteen years on me. So your son's going to be nineteen years older, which is naturally, yeah, you know, yeah. My uh, son's thirty four. Yeah, so yeah, he's uh, my son's fifteen. Yeah. Right. Um, so my dad told me one thing. Is it true you never stop, to Um.
1: Yes, that's true. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's true. Is it
1: okay? And yet, so I'm very lucky in that my relationship with all three of my kids is is very pari passu. It's okay. very. Th- th- believe me, they have every right and and take every opportunity to criticize their father. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and my youngest, my stand-up comedian daughter. I mean, literally, my wife always knows when I'm on the phone with her because I'm laughing my ass off, <laughs> and it, you know it's all slams on me, yeah. <laughs> which I think is really funny.
0: So, so she's moving here, you said. She is, yeah. So, so, uh, so next time in New York, I'll maybe get a chance to see us now. Absolutely, all right. absolutely. So she's on fire. So she okay. got picked
1: for just for laughs, which was nice. I know it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So she was one of, at least I was told that she was one of the first comics to get picked on her first application. And so we went to Montreal to see it. It was great. Love seeing all these young people because mm-hmm. uh, they're funny as hell. Yeah, they are. And 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 we were talking about comedy when she was here. She just left yesterday, as a matter of fact. And and it was like, you know, I I can be pretty funny as well. And, and I had a friend, an old girlfriend, say to me, you use comedy as a weapon. And I'm like, wow, I hadn't okay. even thought about that. And she goes... What you do is you say something that's true that you could never say if it wasn't funny, right? Okay, so that's a fair thinking, point. So I started thinking about, you know, comics like Ricky Gervais, yeah. about people like uh, Dave Chappelle. And you know what? They kind of do, Yeah. right? It's, it's kind of like it gives them the ability to bring out things that, like, everyone might be thinking, right? Yeah, of course. But no one's going to talk about yeah. unless it's funny. So, yes, you never stop parenting, but you do come to see your children as adults, yep. as equals, as you know. It's like uh, I elevated Patrick to CEO of Osam because I knew he's going to do a better job than me, in terms of you know uh, he he was massively uh, active, tons of ideas, and and uh, you know in 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 corporations, particularly uh, privately owned yep. succession is a huge issue and it shouldn't be. Are you watching the TV show, Succession? You know, that's so <laughs> funny that you bring that up because we, my wife and I watched the first episode, right? Yeah. And we're like, these people are awful. Yeah, We're not going to watch this. This is horrible. Yeah, you've got to go back to it. No, no. So I'm at, di- I'm at dinner at Patrick's. He just got back from Africa and, and Succession comes up and he goes, hey, wait a minute. You don't, you don't watch Succession? And I'm like, no, we watched the first one. We hated it. And he was like, dad. Watch it. It's genius. And, and so he's got a great batting average with me because Breaking Bad was another show we yep. started watching, didn't like. Patrick was like, no, 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 you you got to watch it. Of course, it turns out to be one of our favorite yep. shows. Peaky Blinders, I found on my own, loved. Didn't think my wife would do it. And, and so is she's listening to Patrick and he's like, oh, no, that's a great show. Yep. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, I'll watch. Handmaid's Tale? Oh, yeah. So interesting. So we watched the first one, which was kind of fun. But then we we started the second season and I'm just like oh, ah interesting. You know I, I, I struggled I,
0: on the first season. Did you? Yeah, it took me like 6 episodes. I was like oh this is boring. Towards the end it picked up. Then I really liked the second and the third wasn't as good. I actually thought the second was better. Interesting how yeah. people see different one.
1: So, well, you know, you pick up on things and, and so... But succession? Yeah, So exactly. have you gone back yet or are you still on... We're, 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 we're going to start... You uh, Yeah, and, and so... But honestly, <laughs> yeah. so I thought a lot because I was the chairman here of the Chamber of Music Society of Lincoln Center. Okay. It's basically the best chamber uh, orchestra in the world. Mm-hmm. Very proud of them. They're fantastic. Our artistic directors are amazing David Finkel in Wuhan, and anyway, when when I became chairman, I said to them, "I will only do this under two conditions. Yep. The first is that I will only be allowed to serve two terms, because if I can't get done in five years, which is kind of uh, mm-hmm. two years plus a year, then I've failed, yep. and you want to get rid of me, right? Because <laughs> I'm I'm bad, and and if I've accomplished everything, then you want fresh blood." And secondly, I want my successor to already be picked. And so the woman I wanted to succeed me named Eleanor Hoover. She's a a bigwig at Citibank and one incredible woman. And uh, I went to her and I said, look, I'm not taking this unless you tell me you'll take that. And she agreed. The point being, I think that you can screw so many things up by simple you know, not having a succession plan. Yeah. By by making Patrick CEO, which he earned, by the way,
0: mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know. And
0: I'll, his show is great, by the way.
1: I've yeah, li- I have know his show. Yeah.
0: But one thing I didn't even think to check. Have you actually been on it? I have, yes. Yeah. Do you know what? It just crossed my mind because I'm trying to remember. I've listened to, I think, three of them. And yeah. I can't remember which ones. I'd have to go back. But I didn't even think to check. What was that like doing it with him? It was, it was
1: it, fun. Yeah? It was fun. Patrick and I really uh, are on the same wavelength. And, it, you know. It, very similar then. Yeah. And, and, you know, lots of differences, obviously, of course, yeah. uh, but it was fun. We didn't really talk about factor investing or quantitative investing at all. We mm-hmm. told stories, yeah. which was fun. And, but he struggled with whether he should have me on or not. You know, it was kind of like, eh, you know, I'm only having you on because you're my dad, but you did write what works on wall street, which yeah. is like a big deal. And, you know, would I have you on if you weren't my dad? Of course I would. You and, did. you know, he went back and forth, back and forth. Anyway, um, I bet that's one of his better shows as well. Oh, it was fun. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. And listen, what I think is fantastic is, again, back to succession. Yeah. By naming Patrick CEO of OSAM, something he richly earned. And I'm going to tell you a story about that in a minute. We got rid of anyone's questions about our intentions, right? We're around. We're not going anywhere. You know it's it's Jim doesn't want to hit up Saint-Tropez and you know sell the company. <laughs> we want this to be a multi generational success story yeah and and immediately the market understood that, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, they're not going anywhere but so we've had a great relationship with the Royal Bank of Canada for more than twenty years i mean amazing handshake deal back in ninety seven i mean can you imagine? Nope. A fellow by the name of Simon Lewis, who was the head of their asset management, came down to Granite. She was like, all right, we love this. Uh, Dave Chilton, the author, was the one who showed him what works on Wall Street. And you've got to remember, back then, that was, like, brand new. So, anyway, we did a handshake deal, started with the funds. They're called the O'Shaughnessy Funds up there. And so, anyway, the Canadians are great people, but especially RBC employees are tough, they will if you screw something up, you're going to hear about it, and you're going to and and more importantly, they're going to say you're going to fix this, right? So they're they they're very tough graders, and so Patrick had been working for Osam for a while, and he'd gotten really really good, and and so I decided I was supposed to go up and, and do a week of presentations, and up in Canada, if you're RBC, you know, there's going to be 500 yeah. people in the room, and and so I said I called the head of asset management. And I was, can I uh, send Patrick up? And he was like, are you sure? <laughs> and I went, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And he goes, sure. And I, and I go and then call me and tell me. It. And, and, and so anyway, baited breath, right? Because they're going to be blunt. Yep. And, and, and so Doug called me after Patrick got back. Cause I said to Patrick, how'd it go? And he was like, yeah, I thought it went really well, <laughs> you know? And, and so, okay, good. No obvious blowups. ups and then I got the call from the CEO, and he goes, Jim, I have two things to say to you. And I went, okay. The, the funds, remember, are named O'Shaughnessy Funds. And he goes, number one, when Patrick hits his, his peak, he's going to be so much better than you at this. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that is such th- – I mean, that's music to my ears. And I then- don't know.
0: I still be a little bit like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but then the second yeah, thing yeah. he said – we can't tell you how happy his name is O'Shaughnessy <laughs> because yeah. selling the O'Shaughnessy funds. There you go. So we have a, like I mentioned, we've got a broad employee ownership of the company, but you know our name's on the door. Mm-hmm. And and so... Um, what does it mean for your time now, though? Like, are you able to do more luxury projects? And So, yeah. I mean, honestly, I have the massive indulgence of being able to do whatever I want. Yeah. Patrick runs things day-to-day. I'm still the co-chief investment officer. You can't make changes to the strategies without my Mm sign-off. I'm chairman. Patrick reports to me, and everyone else reports to Patrick. But I wanted to also take this opportunity to say, even though our name's on the door, we wouldn't be what we are without our team.
0: Yeah, of course, Um, yeah.
1: I mean, we have been so lucky to have, like, the the smartest. It was like, that's another one of my things— Hire people
0: who are smarter than you are. Somebody said to me, hire slowly, fire quickly.
1: Yes. Boy. And I've, you know, I've had three of my own companies. I've worked for a big company, Bear Stearns. And that is so true. Because, you know, you know, what's interesting is, not only do you know, they know too. They know that this just, for whatever reason, this fit isn't working. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you, don't immediately address the the situation; it festers, right? And so we've been blessed with not getting too many of those wrong, right? And so Chris Meredith, who who leads, who's my co CIO and leads our research effort, um, you know, he's a genius and figures things out and can code like a coder, and and, and but the whole team and and you know the collective brain power that they have brought is just stunning to Mm -hmm. me. I think it's fantastic. And then Patrick had this innovation of the idea of uh, O'Shaughnessy Research Partners, where we allow people who don't work for us to have access to all of our tools and data. Now, our data costs millions of dollars a year. So people who aren't in our industry can't do that, right, unless they're independently rich. Mm -hmm. So our first guy blogs under the name Jesse Livermore. He's anonymous. And yet one of the smartest market thinkers I've ever come across. Uh, The pieces that he's written for us have been, I mean, ridiculously brilliant back to distributed intelligence. Right. So we've got some ex Google people, machine learning, they're writing, I'm teaching us about things that, and you know, I'm in awe. (laughs) And, and so I just think it's like, for me, I, I, I love where I'm at right now because every day is I can, Pursue reading, which I read endlessly. You know, I love learning about new things: mm-hmm. Bitcoin, mm-hmm. machine learning, artificial intelligence, etc. And and then I I get to also help people in the industry along, right? Yeah. So I I enjoy that. Yeah, right. It's it's like you know the it's hard, right? When you're twenty whatever and you're coming out of school, and it's like, what do I do? You know, who do I talk to? Uh, what what kind of shop should I work for? And, and so I've enjoyed very much helping, like, with that. Um, but, yeah, I'm very lucky. I can, I can sit and do the podcast yeah, with this is, you. And, I mean, this and, is awesome. <laughs> and we've,
0: and we've barely, you know, we've already... I usually like to get an hour. We're already at an hour and 15. Right. We haven't really talked too much about investing. No. And, which is great. Yeah. Um, I do have a couple of questions sure. on that, though. You know, firstly, it's almost like a... These are kind of summary questions, but I'm not an investor. I'm certainly not a trader. Right. But... Are there any key principles of investing that anyone can use in their life that you would say at least look if you just do these basics when you retire you're going to be in a better position than you are now.
1: Yes, absolutely. For the vast majority of investors who aren't investors, right? Yeah. Who who would rather do other things. The the best thing to do is set up a retirement scheme. Here in the U.S., they're called four hundred one k's, individual retirement accounts, et cetera, and methodically put money in, no matter what's happening in the market, right? And and if you if you just want to buy the whole market and and buy an index, that's fine too, because you are going to get the power of ownership and expanding earnings and all those things, low costs. That's great. If you want to take a step beyond that process. Matters, right? So if you're looking at a manager who can't easily articulate their process, take a pass, right? Because ultimately, you know, what's funny about this is that they there's studies from 1971, like IBM looked at their pension managers and and what did the best ones have in common? Well, the the thing that sticks with me, it was in the Journal of Portfolio Management, but the thing that sticks with me is they all had a process that they could easily articulate and that they stuck to religiously, right? So the enemy is you, right? There's a uh, cartoon here in the U.S. called Pogo. It's not around anymore, but one of the most famous panels from it was Pogo looking and and saying, we've met the enemy and it's us. And, And man, that is so true in investing. Behavioral biases are rampant they can't be educated against, which is really interesting. There's a paper that I reference. Uh, you can find it on my profile um, uh, from a Google talk I did. 45% of investor behavior is genetic, and you can't literally change it. <laughs> and so if you're looking for the tried and true principles, the tried and true is find a scheme that makes sense to you, yeah. put money from your paycheck in it, start young, Because the compounding that that allows is extraordinary. And pretty much, you're young, you're 40, right? Yeah. So even if you haven't done anything in the past, if you start right now doing that and just putting it in, putting it in, sometimes the market's going to be down 30% and everyone's going to be running around with their hair on fire. Sometimes the market's going to be climbing and and in a bull market and everyone's totally into it. If you just pay no attention, benign neglect For for your average person, benign neglect is the best thing that you could do. Nice. You know, I always say that the four horsemen of the investment apocalypse are fear, greed, hope, and ignorance. (laughs) And if you think about that, only one is not an emotion, ignorance, right? Fear, greed, and hope, they've wiped out more money than any bear market ever because we can't help ourselves. I'm fascinated by this. I've studied it for years and years and years, and my best advice is… Understand you're not an exception. You're going to be just as uh, susceptible to this as other people. I would be if I wasn't a quant. Oh, my God. I'd I'd fall into every behavioral bias in the world. And so my answer to it was I'm automating a process that I have tested over historical data, that it works, base rates, batting averages. But for your average investor process, benign neglect, just – do it habitually from every paycheck,
0: you'll be fine. A few less coffees, a few less Starbucks. <laughs> no, no, no. You know that that, you
1: know, that that. <laughs> kind of stuff just drives me crazy. <laughs> you know, it's it's like, listen, get an investment scheme first, yep. right? Get your paycheck so that it automatically flows in from each paycheck. Or if you're independent like you, you know, make sure that you set aside X percent. Mm-hmm. And and the rest literally takes care of itself. Right. But we are always getting in our own way, right? And we always are like, oh, but but I just saw this guy on financial TV, and he said that the crash is coming. Well, uh, okay. So let's do our homework. Let's see how many other times he said a crash was coming. How many times was he right? You know, never. <laughs> so we, we have this. this, this Stop this, trying to beat the market. Exactly. That's what well.
0: Most of us don't have the skills or time. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And so if you want to beat the market, honestly, hire people like us, Yeah. right? Where there's a process, and there are others too. You don't have to hire O'Shaughnessy. There are other quants. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Cliff Asnist runs AQR, and he's a genius, and there's all sorts of people that you can hire. But process, empirical evidence is helpful. I mean, would you ever go to a doctor, and, and the doctor looks at you, and he says, Peter, you know, I just got these little yellow pills here. I don't know anything about them, but I think I got a good feeling about these. (laughs) You're going to run out of that guy's office immediately, right? You want double-blind tests. You want long histories. You want batting averages. And so if, if that's what you want to do, then by all means, hire somebody who's good at that. Or get good at it yourself because, you know, there's a lot of do-it-yourselfers too. And, mm-hmm. you know, they buy like things like what works on Wall Street, invest like the best, etc. But the, all of that is moot unless you can understand you are your own worst enemy. I'm my own worst enemy. I mean, it's universal. It's a universal condition because we're human beings and because our software systems are optimized to 50,000 years ago. Uh, versus the world's and society's software systems, which are optimized to now, right? It's like, why are we afraid of snakes? We're afraid of snakes because it's in our genetic code, right? We are the descendants of the people who ran away. (laughs) Think about that. (laughs) (laughs) You're out on the savannah. You see a bush moving. I'm going to go see what that is. He gets eaten. (laughs) The guy who goes, I don't care what that is. I'm running away. So why do you think we react to risk the way we do? (laughs) Right. I was reading this guy who was sort of kind of tongue in cheek saying, I don't know, maybe a hundred thousand years from now, we're going to be terrified of cars when we see them (laughs) because they kill a lot more people than snakes. And yet. So so there's this mismatch right in in human nature. That's why I'm always saying arbitraging human nature is the last sustainable edge because everybody thinks they're special. Right? And there's a gift that I use a lot on Twitter. You are the only exception. <laughs> no you're not. Yeah. And you know, you look at surveys, uh, men in particular were the worst. Yep. Women make better investors because they're far more willing to admit they maybe uh, they might be wrong. Yep. Guys were were awful. Yeah. It's like you look at driver surveys that you give to a bunch of guys. Everyone except the more modest is in the top decile. They all are the best drivers. And and the modest guys put themselves in the second decile. No one's in decile three through ten. Well, we all know from driving yeah. that that's not the case. That's not the case. Athletic no. <laughs> ability, you know, endless. We, everybody thinks that they are, you know, the, the, the shit. They're not. You're not. I'm not. Right? (laughs) And so if you can get into a mindset that is like, I don't want to, you know, it's not going to be my hobby. It's not going to be what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, you know, doing podcasts and and doing creative stuff, digital marketing, whatever. Then benign neglect. Do it every, uh, make a habit out of putting the money in there.
0: You'll be fine. All right. I think that's some amazing advice. Jim, this has been so, so much fun. I knew it would be like following you on Twitter and seeing you memeing and everything. I think a nice way to finish out is just what's coming up. What are are the things you're really interested in right now? The things you're going to be doing, like what's coming up for you?
1: So lots of really exciting stuff from the company. We debuted what we are calling kind of the first investment operating system. We call it Canvas. Mm-hmm. What it allows you to do is is really, really cool. It allows you to customize a portfolio right down to your preferences, right? So you don't like tobacco, you don't have to own tobacco. That's the beginning. It also manages, if you're a taxable investor, it's, it manages to generate consistently. We found through research, and we found hist- historically doing it for some of our clients Certain amount of basis points every year just from better tax management, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. right? Because Alpha is getting harder and harder to find. and But it also deals with things like single stock exposure. So it, it allows you to customize down to Peter exactly the portfolio that's right for you, right? And we're super excited about it. The interest, we debuted it, Patrick debuted it at a conference about a month and a half ago. The response has been, like, beyond our wildest expectations because it's the next leg. It's where investing is going. And and so I'm super excited about that. I tried to do something similar, which we called Netfolio back in 1999. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the tech just wasn't there. The tech's here now. and And so... This is going to be, I think, a sea change because one of the other things that we're trying to do is we talked about behavioral biases. I was trying to figure out a way where we could put behavioral biases in people's favor as opposed to against them. And one thing that we've learned is that when people take an active hand in designing a portfolio, and it could be something as really simple as I don't like these five stocks in the S&P – Give me the S&P 495. They are far more willing to stick with it, right? And and that's the game. The entire game is getting people to stay in the market no matter what. Patience. Patience. Yeah. So very excited about that. Nice. Doing a lot of research into mimetic behavior and and how it um, – So a long time ago, I, I had kind of sat down I thought – okay, what is the stock market, right? And I found it. I wrote it in something like 1988. And what I said was the stock market is a complex adaptive system with feedback. And then I add it under heterogeneous conditions. In other words, your opinion's different than mine. It's pretty efficient, right? So I might sell you Apple, and I'm selling Apple because I want to give something to my grandson you're buying it because you've got a 15-year-old son and, you know, you want it to grow for him. But it works pretty well, right? However, when mimetic behavior starts driving things, and mimetic behavior is essentially copying other people, right? Those, those various viewpoints move from heterogeneous to homogeneous. Everybody's thinking the same. Mm-hmm. Think.com. Think 1987 crash. Think 1929 crash. And what happens is information cascades happen, and and they take over, and everyone starts doing things exactly the same. And so what I'd like to do is find some form of quantitative signal that doesn't tell me it's going to happen, but tells me that it's happened, right? Because the very nature of a black swan, right, is you can't predict a black yeah. swan. If you can, however, find a measurement that you can verify empirically, doesn't doesn't say, oh, I'm going to see a black swan now, but says, oh, by the way, Jim, you just saw a black swan. That could be very, very useful. So I'm working on that. And then I'm, 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 I'm toying with uh, writing another book about what you need to be able to, to – Traverse and 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 get where you want to get right, and you know people talk about things like talent stacks and, yep. and things like that. I've thought a lot about that. So you're point. not slowing down then? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm never going to retire. I mean, yeah. I, if When when Patrick, if Patrick listens to this, he, he, it's like yeah, somebody said, "Did Patrick see you tweeted that?" And I said, "Patrick doesn't read my tweets." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, but I'm never going to retire. I had a very successful grandfather, and, and you know he gave away virtually 95% of his fortune. He did very, very well mm-hmm. during his own lifetime, which I'm incredibly proud of. But one of the things that I'm also proud of was when I was a little kid, I got to have dinner with him like twice a week, um, and it was like, never retire, because when you retire...
0: You're getting ready to die.
1: Oh. And, and and so he well, you retired. need Well, you need
0: a job where you don't want to retire. And some people are not going to have that. Like some, what I do, I could do forever. Forever. It's, I'm right. having a conversation. And, yeah. And I'm lucky yeah, enough that yeah. I can be in that position as well. But so. some, I think some people probably um, – my dad was an aircraft engineer. He wanted to retire. Well, I'm done. He's of like, i course, done. I get that. Yeah.
1: But then find another passion yeah. or avocation, go, right? Go for him day in, day out. Well, okay. So anything, <laughs> yeah. right? that. I happen to
0: want it to occupy your mind,
1: and I guess golf does yeah
0: occupy your mind and just keep moving I think' they're the two things those are the things you got to do yeah and because you
1: know that 's how you stay young, and that 's why I like young people so much because they're they 're bursting with ideas, and I think that 's fantastic yeah and you know that's that 's
0: where it 's at well, this has been great, honestly, thank you so much oh, i've my really pleasure. really enjoyed this so yeah, much as did I listen, you should should tell people how to find out more about the business and sure. where you are on Twitter. So,
1: so I mean, I'll the, share it out. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, the business, very easy to find us. It's on the web at Oh Oscar, Sam, Adam, Lots of research there, uh, for those people who like that kind of thing. We've got some fantastic research, both from our, our people on the team, but also our research partners. You'll be able to check out canvas, which I was talking about, and you can find me on Twitter at JP O'Shaughnessy. Those are those are my my, my two main ones. Uh, and you'll you'll be able to find us.